On April 10, 2020, I had the distinct pleasure of interviewing Mr. Dave Thompson, rock journalist extraordinaire and author of well over a hundred nonfiction books, including several well outside the realm of popular music. For example, he's published superb, compelling tomes about subjects as diverse as, to crib from Wikipedia, uh, film, sports, philately, numismatics, and erotica. Dave's influence over this very podcast simply can't be overstated. His 2009 Sparks biography, Number One Songs in Heaven, is one of only two published bios about the band, along with Daryl Easley's Talent is an Asset, which was released one year later. So, it looks like Dave Thompson indeed has the distinction of being the first one out of the gate. Longtime listeners of this podcast have Dave to thank for a huge portion of the information that I convey to you all through my narration, and that includes many of those juicy interview snippets that I sometimes throw into the mix. Originally from Biddeford, Devon, UK, Dave began his writing career in the late 70s writing for a punk fanzine. He published his first book, a very early biography of U2, in 1984. Among his rock bios, he's covered... David Bowie, copiously, I might add, uh, The Cure, Depeche Mode, Kurt Cobain, The Red Hot Chili Peppers, Genesis Kiss, countless, countless more. In 1999, he was ranked among the top five foremost rock biographers by the prestigious Mojo magazine, and he received an ARSC Best Research Award in 2003 for his encyclopedia Reggae and Caribbean Music. More recently, former Rolling Stones manager Andrew Lug Oldham, forgive me if I'm mispronouncing that, proclaimed Thompson, quote, Sherlock Holmes with the facts, while celebrating his refusal to allow common preconceptions to bog down his opinions. Dave moved to the United States in 1989, and there he resides to this day in the state of Delaware. He was hunkered down in his New England home when we chatted, enduring the same COVID-19 quarantine that's affected all of us. A couple of quick notes before I play the interview. We were kind of winging it on the recording tech front, so the resulting audio may not be quite as easy on the ears as some of my other more recent interviews. All the same, although it sounds a little different, his half of the interview does still come through pretty clearly enough, I'd say. Um, also, I'm giving you a fair warning now. This is a pretty loosey-goosey and free-ranging interview, uh, so be ready for us to stray from the topic at hand a few times. And now, please welcome Mr. Dave Thompson. Hi, Dave. Can you hear me? Hold on, let me just... Uh, okay, that's better. I can hear you now. Okay, perfect. <laughs> all right. Okay, Sorry we... to mess you around with this. Oh, no, 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 no. Thanks thanks for your time. I, I appreciate it. I know it's yeah. uh, it's kind of odd to be having a conversation about rock journalism in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, well, it, it actually breaks the monotony, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, I rather think so. Uh, well, again, I do appreciate it. How is everything? You said you're uh, you're in Delaware with your family? Yeah, um, we're still pretty good at the moment. Right. So, um, and you know, I stay in all the time anyway, so it's not like it's really a... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I can. I, I I identify with that as well. Uh, yeah, I used to chide myself for not going out into the world more often, and now I'm doing exa yes. exactly what's being prescribed. So it works out very very well. Um, yeah. Down here in Austin, Texas, it's um, it's pretty. The, we don't we don't have a whole lot of cases here. It's fairly mild. Of course, we do have the uh, shelter shelter in place directive. Um, yeah, but, we've got uh, that. Right. 
but once again, thanks so much for taking your time. Um, I wanted to uh, start off uh, by saying um, you're the, the book that you wrote on Sparks, your biography, Number One Songs in Heaven, is one of my main sources that I pull from to do my biographical, <clears throat> excuse me, my, my biographical uh, podcast. Um, <clears throat> aside from the fact that it is, you know, very informative and you go into a lot of detail, there just aren't very many documents uh, that tell the uh, the Sparks story. I mean, there is the other book. Was it, um, gosh, I it's, his name uh, Daryl Islea. I think that's how you pronounce it. D- Daryl Islea, if I'm saying yes. it right. Yeah. yeah. I think it's Easley, actually. Easley? Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, that came out sort of right after my... <laughs> I, yep. Good, great timing. How about that? Uh, yeah, it's interesting, too, because I uh, because that's the other uh, primary source, I guess, if you will, that, 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 I, that I pull from. And every so often, you guys will have more or less the same quote from the same person, although sometimes yes. you'll get conflicting uh, quotes from different people. It's, it's been really interesting. So, um, so, I, I, you know, I, so I've had to tell the story from both vantages uh, sometimes. Um, I mean, that's good, though. Um, you know, if you've only got the one source, then you don't always know if you're right or if that's how they feel today. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I imagined uh, you would know that uh, better than most. Uh, I was checking out your... Um, I've done interviews with people you know, a couple of years apart and got completely different stories about the same thing. Yeah. Well, that's also the nature of you know, human you know, uh, memory and how fallible it is, and I'm sure that's part of it. No, I think they're just messing with it. Or yeah, sure. Yeah, that could be too. Um, I was uh, I was checking out uh, your uh, bibliography. You've got some, somewhere around a hundred. Uh, uh, I think it's close to two hundred at this point. Goodness gracious! Okay, I know. So this is why I go out. I well, there you go. Uh, so I, I wanted to, to ask you about that as well, since you are so ridiculously uh, uh, prolific. Uh, with your and not just rock rock and roll biographies, I, I noticed you've branched out into other things. Yeah, uh, yeah. Wrote a few about uh, the adult film industry. Yeah. Um, of course, that's the one that sticks in my mind. I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to find other ones. I, I know, I know he did porn. Um, now, do you usually choose your own subjects based on your interests, or do you have assignments from your publisher? Or how does that work? I've had a few assignments. Um, generally, I choose, and if I get an assignment, I'll try and sort of twist it to something I will like. Um, there are books on the list. Um, Fish comes to mind, mm-hmm. where that was very much, will you write a book about them? And I was like, mm, okay. <laughs> yeah, Not a big fish a, fan. The classic one where they called up and said, we want you to do an encyclopedia of punk. And I was so excited. And when the contract arrived and I was looking at it, he said, funk. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. Oh, it was funk um, instead of punk? Yeah. Oh, I see. Um, but yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, I love that music anyway. It just never really dawned on me to write a book about it. Right. So that was fun. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, I, I imagine so. I, I've got some. Now that I have a lot of time uh, to myself indoors, uh, I'll have some books to uh, to catch up on there. Um, now, why Sparks is a niche interest, I would say, as rock bands go. What is what was unique? Well, well, what what drew you to uh, Sparks and to write a book about Sparks? Oh, uh, this is this is a eighty-two. When did that book come out? Like twenty twelve. Uh, the uh, copyright date on my book says 2009. Okay, 2009. Uh, yeah. So it's a 1822, It's a 27-year saga. Um, mm-hmm. Back in 1982, I decided to write a book about John's children. I met up with the band, the living members, um, and one of them said, well, you know, you've got to carry on the story because, you know, I was in Duke and then there was Radio Stars and there was Jet. So doing that, and I got up to, you know, Jet, and I was introduced to Martin Gordon. Oh, yeah. Martin was in Sparks. So it's like, well, I ought to put Sparks in the book as well. So interviewed Martin and Trevor White and 
few other people, Joseph Fleury, mm-hmm. um, Ron Russell in the end. And nobody wanted to publish this book. It was this sprawling thing of like the entire John's Children family tree, basically. Right. Yeah, there was even chapters on T-Rex. Um, huh. Nobody was interested in it, but I never sort of let go of it. And so I started publishing bits as magazine articles. I redid the John's Children books specifically about John's Children, found mm-hmm. a publisher for that. And then one day I was looking at the rest and I said, like, I've got to do Sparks because I've done mm-hmm. so much work on it in my childhood. <laughs> How so? 20, 20 odd years before. Just, just as, a, as an avid uh, listener and fan? As a fan, yeah. yeah. I mean, I uh, picked up on them from, uh, from Kimono My House. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously, you know, heard this town big enough on the radio one day. It's like, what the devil is that? Yeah. Hated it the first time. Second time I heard it, it's like, uh, actually, I think I like it. And I bought it that weekend. It's funny because that I, I've heard different permutations of that story from the people that I've interviewed over and over and over again. Yeah, uh, it was. It, it's all. Yeah, it, 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 it all begins square one with uh, this town. Um, and the, the first time I, I was at school, and we had the radio on in you know the common room or whatever, mm-hmm. and it came on as a new release, and we were all like, "Oh my god, she can't sing! It's horrible." Yeah. Go right, away! Right, 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 and right. Then it started. It started turning up more. I think it was like some DJ's uh, record of the week, and. It's like if turned on the radio, this thing was there, and by the weekend, I loved it. Yeah, a quick, a quick grower, uh, yeah. and and that's a man. My goodness. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was the other thing. Uh, oh. Well, speaking of John's children and Martin Gordon specifically, I, I uh, had the honor of having a, a really lengthy interview with him uh, just a, a couple of weeks ago. And he's hilarious. He, he really is, and I really enjoy his blog. Um, and he's a hell of a yeah. person to talk to if oh, the uh, – especially if the, your core interest is Sparks because obviously he, <laughs> he didn't have the um, – uh, he didn't have the greatest experience when he no. was, you know, on, on, on his way out, certainly. But, I mean, as you'll see and you know, you noticed in my book, there's a few people who didn't really have the greatest experience and in particular thought their departure could have been handled better. Uh-huh. Um, it's like, I think Ron and Russell, well, Ron, they admit it themselves. I mean, they are so single-minded, their only thought is sparks. Mm-hmm. And if you're not part of their next thought, bye-bye. Right, yeah. There's very little sentimentality there. Right, and they're and they're monomaniacal, aren't they? It's oh, it's totally. all about sparks. So that's yeah. a, a certainly a question I, I wanted to, to to get to. So when you were reaching out to people for interviews, how much direct contact, if any, did you have with Ron and Russell or their management? Um, quite a lot, ultimately. Um, so eighty four, eighty five, they were back in London. Um, they just released Change. Okay, yeah. Which I thought was like their best single since um, probably Never Turn Me Back on Mother Earth. Um, mm-hmm. I adored it. So I was writing for Melody Maker, I think, at the time. So I was like, okay, I've got to interview Sparks, whether Melody Maker will publish it or not. So I, that's where I met them. And I mentioned to them that I'd been trying to do this book. And they said, oh, you need to talk to Joseph then. Mm-hmm. So, Joseph Fleury? Yeah. Uh, he rigged up a couple more interviews with the brothers, he talked a lot, introduced me to a few more people, but ultimately, ultimately they didn't like what I had written because I think I gave Martin a little more Credit. space than they liked. Uh-huh. And then there was you know, Trevor White who didn't have the happiest memory of parting, uh, Dinky Diamond who was sort of quite rude. Uh, oh, really? I'm surprised to hear that. He seemed like such a jolly fellow. Um, I think he was, but maybe I just caught him at a bad time. It's like, you know, sparks were back around, and it wasn't something he really wanted to relive. Sure, yeah. And, and um, of course, and his, again, sto- his story is a tragic band, one. The manner of that band breaking up is like, you know, the brothers just go to L.A. and say, that's oh, all right, we're, we're not a band anymore. Right. And they're like, what? What? 
It's like, yeah, I, I guess they, you know, they, they weren't around to pay attention to just a few years before that when they ditched their initial L.A. band. Yeah. Just, yeah, just like same that. thing. Um, so there, yeah, there is that sort of vision of them just sort of, okay, we're bored with this band. Let's run away to a different country. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. I, uh, ad <laughs> I infinitum. I get it again. felt to some people. <laughs> So you're so the the first time you had any interaction with the brothers themselves, you said was around eighty eighty five or so with the release of Change. When Change came out, right? Actually, I think I may have met Joseph before then. Um, if I think about, it, yeah, I did meet Joseph before then, but I didn't get to meet the brothers until Change came out. By which time, yeah, I'd been sort of sitting on this book for two or three years. And it was like, okay, great. You know, now I can get the book out because Sparks are back and this single is going to be huge. And it wasn't. <laughs> wow. No, it wasn't. No. I went to my, I went to my, um, you know, everybody who I was working with publishing and they would look at me like, you're crazy. You know, nobody is going to want a Sparks book. <laughs> so, so this had germinated a long time ago. So this was, I guess you just had the, the, you had the idea on a back burner for, for many, many years. And when did you decide to pick it back up? Um, I, I tried to get around the time of, um, gratuitous sex. Oh, okay. So that would be mid nineties. That's like 94, 95. Yeah. Um, I was living over here at that time, but I went over to London for the Shepherd's Bush gig mm-hmm. and did a huge interview with Ron and Russell. And again, it's like, okay, I've got to do this, and nothing happened once again. And then I think I was just so kicking around ideas one day, and it's like, okay, I'm going to do the Sparks book. If I can't find a publisher, I'm going to do it myself. Nice. And it really was. I was just sick of the pile of Sparks (laughs) records just mounting. (laughs) Um, Whichever album had come out around about that time, I liked um, which isn't always given with Sparks. Right. You know, they're, they're one of the few bands who there are albums I really like, and there's some I really dislike and have not played probably since they came out. Oh, yeah, yeah, especially but in the they, 80s. They were back onto one of those, like, oh, this one's good. So it's like, okay, I've got to do it. And um, thankfully, Cherry Red said yes. Oh, well, that's, well, that's yeah, your um, publisher, actually, Cherry Red. Real publisher, not, uh, not doing it myself. So how did that uh, process go about? Did you contact their management? I think Sue, oh, yeah. Sue Harris. And... Um, and I'm not going to say they messed me around, but <laughs> um, I had a contact who was close to them, and she very much gave me the impression that Ron and Russell were interested in a book and you know, might well give it their blessing, so authorized etc etc and it was only later I found out that they were already working with Daryl on his book oh simultaneously okay yeah Yeah. or near enough so I kind of get the impression I was played a little you know just to see what I was what I was doing okay yeah yeah feeling you Um, out and I also heard from somebody else that they were very upset that I put their real birth dates in really that yeah. So that's really interesting because I, when I, I well f- full disclosure I've I've only been a Sparks fan for about thirteen years so I was I was late to the game, but right. I remember and this was already in the time of um, of uh, Wikipedia, and I remember looking up their uh, their Wikipedia entry, and it didn't give a specific birth date, uh, and I looked at other sources and there were. It was just kind of all over the map, you know. Obviously, yeah. That was part of their, you know, deliberate um, tweaking of the, yeah, exactly the, uh, the media. And then one day I went and checked it out, and it had their exact birth dates, and it happened to be the same birth dates that I saw in your book. So yeah. I'm, I'm wondering um, if that was one, that just disseminated. One of, my, one of my hobbies is, well, sometimes hobbies is genealogy. It's like my own family tree. But, you know, I've signed up to those websites where you can go on and look at people's birth certificates. And it so happened I had a membership, a current membership at the time. So I thought, okay, Ron and Russell, let's just confirm (laughs) the birth dates that, you know, you see. And it's like, oh, they're considerably older than I thought. Yeah. 
I know. I was I, I, I was surprised. But on the other hand, look how well-preserved they are. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Um, I mean, good for them. I like pop stars who lie about their age. I think they should. Sure. You yeah, know, we don't want to know Mick Jagger is, you know, 830. We want to think he's just 30. <laughs> he's 35 and he's had a hard life. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. And it's still a youth culture, isn't it? You know, pop yeah. music. Yeah. So, I, mean, see, I mean, I was talking to somebody recently and they were saying, oh, you know, I don't like anything in the charts these days. And it's like, you're 50 something. You're not meant to. Right. It's not for you. No, when your yeah. you know, when your parents were fifty something, they didn't like anything mm-hmm. in the charts, and you thought it was brilliant. <laughs> yes, it, it's, it's still youth music, but you know, as I guess my generation and the ones before me have aged, yeah, you know, our bands have aged with us, and they're now making music for us. Right. Yeah, you know, they're not competing with the eighteen-year-olds anymore. Right. Although I, I, you know, one thing that I, I think is right. <laughs> well, one thing that I think is maybe unique to this generation. I, I'm, I'm in my early forties myself. So, but, but people my age and the generation after me, we uh, seem to have no problem embracing the music of our parents and even grandparents in some cases, you know, which is really which is weird. So funny because. I mean, I, I'm late 50s, and, you know, I think back to the stuff that my parents were listening to, uh, you know, at this age, and it's like, I would never have liked that when I was younger. Right. Yeah, I still don't like it now, I wouldn't have liked it then, but um, i got a friend, she's got a, a daughter who's like early 20s, you know, she loves the Beatles, she loves Al Stewart. Oh, wow, Al Stewart, Why? wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, shouldn't you be out? Liking whatever kids like, yeah. But no, and I think it's you know, the internet has just it's wiped mm-hmm. out time as far as music is concerned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, know, you can just sit on YouTube and it will just bounce you between generations and decades. And as long as you like it, it doesn't matter when it came out. Right, it's a real collapsing of time. Yeah, it's sort of a singularity. Lost that snobbery we used to have about boring mm-hmm. old farts. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, that's true. And, uh, you know, and I'm sure that's uh, helped um, bands like Sparks or, as you were, you know, mentioning a moment ago, the Rolling Stones, and, you know, yeah. keep the, their longevity and their relevance. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good thing, but it's, you know, it's also a little confounding. You know, this is a college town and walk down the road, well, in the old days, we could walk down the road. And uh-huh. you see kids with, you know, like UFO t-shirts. And oh, wow. Like, Dr. Doctor. I haven't heard of UFO. And why would you like them now? But they do. <laughs> it's amazing. I know. What, what, a, what, a, what a time we live in. Of course, you, know, you don't uh, plan on going to a live UFO show anytime soon. No, but yeah. there again, I think I saw them once in the early 80s, and that was quite enough. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Dr. Doctor again. Dr. Doctor again. Okay, I've got it. Yeah. Uh, go- um, you know, Sparks, on the other hand, you know, I, if they came and played in Wilmington, I would go. Sure. Oh, boy. I, would, I wouldn't yeah. go any further because I just don't. But you know, I don't like gigs anymore, which is weird. You know, I think yeah. I spent my entire teens and twenties and thirties at gigs, and right. now it's like I'm glad I don't go. Yeah, the, the <laughs> yeah the crowds, the you know having to look everywhere for the for the toilets and standing in yeah. line. Yeah, I know I'm the, I'm the right. same way. It's all the things that you didn't worry about when you were a kid. Yeah, you mm-hmm. didn't worry about parking. You didn't worry about where the toilets <laughs> were. <laughs> well, and also these days, what thirty dollars for a T-shirt? Yeah, it's you know, madness. For a ticket, if you're lucky, right? Yeah, no and you, know, you can't smoke once you get in there. It's like, well, oh, that's yeah. no fun either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome. Yeah, that's right. Welcome to the present. Yeah. So, going back to, uh, to to Ron and Russell, did I you we talk about sparks? Shouldn't we? Oh, that's fine. We've <laughs> I've got all day. Heck, I may I, have may have all I year. Can tell you, my favorite spark song is Equator. Oh, Equator. That is. I don't know if it was you or if it was Daryl Easley who referred to Sparks as musical Marmite. Uh, <laughs> I guess it wasn't you. Uh, that was Daryl. Okay, yeah. And that that song is the perfect example of musical Marmite. I mean the the way the way Russell is hitting 
just ridiculous glass-shattering registers. You're either on board or you are not. It's funny because when I got it, uh, when I got kimono, and you got to remember, I was what fourteen, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like I knew this town, I knew Amateur Hour, and the rest I really wasn't that crazy about. It's like I liked it, but I was losing interest in the album. And side two of the album, when you get into my family and um, talent as an asset, yeah. It's like they just struck me as such filler, and I was really losing interest in the album. And then Equator came on, and it was like, oh my god, this is the best thing I've ever heard. I want to have its babies. That's how you know. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's how you know you're a Sparks fan. If you can yeah. digest Equator and it turns you on, then that's 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 how you know. Yeah, that's yeah. I'm, it's still the same. Whenever I play Sparks, you know, it's like I always have to play Equator somewhere. Uh huh. In there. <laughs> Have you heard the new album? Uh, so you, um, well, I've heard the four the, the four songs that have been released publicly. Okay, it's I have it you. Reminds me of propaganda. So you you've listened to the to the steady drip 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 in its entirety. Yeah. yeah oh I wow. It for Goldmine. Oh my um, gosh. The review, the review is going to be in the next. I think the next issue end of April. Okay. Um. <clears throat> You said Velvet Goldmine? It reminds me of Propaganda without sounding like Propaganda, if that makes sense. Um, There was just that sort of mood to it. And it may be because um, the first single was kind of Never Turn You Back on Mother. Yes, very much. Um, But there were two or three songs. It's like, that would have fit. That would have fit. Yeah. Um, It's good. I like it. It's good. Okay. I mean, if you're comparing it to Propaganda, that 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 is high praise. Yeah. I, I don't want to give away any spoilers to my listeners who may be hearing this, and they want to keep virgin ears for when the um, the album is is released on May fifteen. But I would love to hear it. That's so like, like propaganda. I would, you never know where they're going to go next because they had those they had those records in the two thousands, starting with Little Beethoven, where they did this hyper repetitive kind of chamber pop. Yeah, and I really enjoyed that album. I did too. And then when they uh, released in 2015 that album with Franz Ferdinand, I thought that was brilliant. Oh, I hated it. <laughs> you, I, you hated it. Okay, there. Yeah, so that's yeah. that's a little litmus test there. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it from a from a production standpoint because I was always excited. But I'm, you know, and I'm a, a minority here. But I liked when they became a Euro dance act. I thought that was a lot of fun, but then not I, not for you. It's funny. Um, I just finished writing a book about um, "I Feel Love," the Donna Summer song. Oh yeah. So of course, number one in heaven is like the next stage. You know, rock band hear that song, go work with Giorgio. Right. And I, that period of sparks. There's two Giorgio, the first two Giorgio or you know, music band albums. Right. I thought were fantastic. Hmm. Um. Then the third came along, and I didn't like it at all. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm funny with Sparks. It's like they'll do two or three albums, great. Yeah, then a couple, not so good. Then they bounce back, then mm-hmm. they back. Yeah, and that's all. You know, that also speaks to their versatility. Is there's there's all yeah. there's going to be something in there for someone in, in their in their catalog. Um, well, you know, I mean, there's three albums in the early 80s that were so huge. Over, well, we say huge over here. Um, really? In the 80s? Oh, okay. Pants, pants and... Um, uh, Womp That Sucker. Where it looked like they were going to break America. Yes. Oh, so that you uh, Sparks um, in Outer Space is probably the one where they had uh, cool places. Yeah, and that was the only one of the three I liked. Right, right. Uh, yeah, it was so funny. I was in I was in Paris when that album came out, and it was everywhere. There were like, interviews with them in the French press, and then I found out that Young Girls had been number one for six. Weeks. Are you kidding me? I had no idea that that had gotten any traction at all. Yeah, apparently it was number one for six weeks. It was like huge. Huh. Um, I mean, I don't know if it's on the national chart or on a radio chart or what. You know, it's like when you hear Wonder Girl topped, you know, topped the chart in yeah, Alabama. Yeah, exactly. Montgomery, it Alabama, right. Some, it could be something like that, but lots of people really cared that there was a new Sparks album. 
And I just remember wandering around Paris, and it's like everywhere you went, you'd hear something or other from it. That's so interesting. I, just thought, I love the album yeah, for that reason. Huh? It's like it's like not my French album. <laughs> right, right. Well, hey, I mean, the, the in in France, even Terminal Jive uh, sold over there, didn't it? Yeah. Over there, yeah, yeah. Of course, and they had that. Jive, it wasn't a bad album. I mean, it wasn't what we wanted after number one song. Uh, yeah, I agree. But, yeah, it was a it was a good album. It had good songs on mm-hmm. it. And I actually really liked the production as well. And uh, yeah. and I don't believe it was really Giorgio. I think Giorgio handed the reins over to Harold Faltermeyer. Yeah, he did. Um, he did that with a lot of people at that time, apparently. And a lot of them were rather upset, yeah, including Donna Summer. <laughs> oh, okay. There you go. Which wasn't, you know, probably wasn't his smartest decision. Yeah. But, you know, Talk to my assistant. You always have to keep an eye on him because you never know what he's going to do and if it's going to be any good. Well, he had an album just a couple of years ago that he oh, released that after a yeah. I mean, I haven't. I never. I didn't hear it. I was afraid to hear it because the reviews had just absolutely trashed it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was interesting. I mean, he had he had a, a moment there for oh, I don't know, six, seven, eight years or so, where he was the guy to go to if you wanted the technological vanguard of you know, electronic music, and then you know. Then he was just gone. If you dig around online, you can find some of his DJs, uh, DJ sets from when he first started, you know, when he first launched his comeback as a DJ. Oh, wow. 2013. And they are amazing. Really? He's basically just playing his greatest hits with a few odd bits thrown in there. And they're just so much fun. I'll have to look out for that. Yeah, and then you look at his sets from after his album came out, and it's like, no, I don't care. Right, right, right. Um, so speaking of Giorgio, did did you attempt to contact him for an interview I, for this project? I attempted, but no joy. Right, right. I imagine um, he's hard I mean, to get to. I mean, he's been so busy touring the last few years. I didn't realize. Uh, I think I think it comes down to you know, well, you know, he's in Austria this week and he's in Switzerland next week. He's not going to have the time. And the man's got to be a few years shy of what eighty? Yeah. By now, it's yeah, yeah it's he's, incredible. He's getting up there. But, so yeah, he's just like bouncing around on stage, having a great time, and yeah, unfortunately, not playing so many good records. Right, right. <laughs> hey, now give, give give him credit for keeping in the game and well, staying alive. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, who were some of the hardest interview subjects to get for the book? Your, for the book. Um, no, I can I can really only think of the people who I couldn't get hold of at all. Yeah. You know, like the Bates Motel crowd. Oh, you couldn't get any um, of those guys. No. Like, um, um, it was weird. Uh, uh, what, what's her name? Um, the girl who did, who was on Gratuitous Sex. Uh, Chris, Christy Hayden? Yeah, I was trying to get her. And I think, if I remember correctly, we had sort of a few email exchanges where she answered a couple of questions. Yeah. But um, I don't remember anybody just being really difficult. It's either like I couldn't find them or I just got straight no. Mm hmm. Um, on the other end I, of that, did. With- I, Sorry, go ahead. One of the people I was most delighted to get hold of was Henry Michaels. Okay. Uh, drummer um, on uh, Big Beat. Big Beat, right? yes. Right. Um, he was great. He had so many stories. He played me things that I shouldn't really have heard, like you know, their, their rehearsal with Mick Ronson. Wow. She was, oh, my God. Um, and I talked to Ronson about them. You did? Um, wow. Yeah, back in... Gosh, it'd been around '85 again. Yeah, you know, when the book was sort of back on my mind, and I was interviewing Mick for something or other, and yeah, so the subject because he always expects the subject expecting the subject to turn to Bowie. Sure. So I decided to confuse him and talk about Sparks. Okay. Good. Well, and besides, and you've already written quite a bit about Bowie. Yeah, I saw it as well. Yeah, you noticed. Yeah, I, I did notice, and I am a very, very big Bowie fan, and so on that, th- those are on my, my reading list as well. 
Was was yeah. he uh, pretty um, amenable to uh, to to talking? About, it sounds like he was, uh, Mick Ronson. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he. I have to say that. Yeah. Of all the people who I've considered, oh my god, he's a superstar. He was like the loveliest person. Yeah. That's great. He just sat around and yeah, and just answered questions and chatted and brought things up. And yeah. We went to a gig together once as well. Oh wow! <laughs> wow, you can. All right. Yeah, he, was, he was just a really nice guy, and yeah, I could call him up and say, yeah, if, if I thought something I needed to know, um, that'd be good. Just a moment. Let, let me uh, let me call up my friend Mick Ronson. I'll I'll, I'll get this question asked for you uh, about T Rex. That's got to be a great thing to tell someone. Sure. Let, let, let me phone Mick Ronson. When you were conducting the interviews, were they mostly over the phone or by email? Did you get to meet face-to-face with anybody? It was a mixture. Um, so I was in Paris, I living. I think I was, in, yeah, I was already in Delaware when I did that book, so I wasn't sort of traveling very far. Um, but yeah, again, I'd been doing interviews really for you know, 27 years at that point. Mm-hmm. So a lot of, the, you know, a lot of, lot of them were face-to-face. Um, but then sort of fresh ones for the book, I think tended to be on the phone. Yeah. Did you travel anywhere to meet? The last time I talked to Ron Russell was on the phone. Okay. So yeah, that's another question I wanted, wanted to go back to is how, how much direct contact did you, were were you able to get with Ron and Russell? Because I know you have to go through all these levels of, you know, what Um, have you. Quite a bit. I'm trying to think what album was new at the time. Um, it may but, have been Exotic Creatures of the Deep. Yeah, I think it was. Um, so yeah, I mean, I hooked up with them through their uh, through their record company publicist, and then I think we did a couple of in- I did a couple of interviews with both of them, and sort of mentioned the book, and they were very non-committal. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, they were great. I mean, Russell, Russell in particular is just, I mean, he's just really fun because he's always so bouncy. Oh, he is in person. He doesn't say anything against anything, even albums that he doesn't like. Well, maybe that was a misstep, but. Uh huh. (laughs) Always, always finding the, uh. Always finding the good and everything and everything. Yeah, I mean, I remember asking him about the, those demos from God. I guess it was introducing the introducing Sparks period had mm-hmm. just surfaced on the internet. There was like half a dozen of them, mm. and I asked him about those, and he said, "Yeah, that's half a dozen of them. I could, yeah, I could play you hours of stuff wow. that are the lost Sparks demos, <laughs> yeah, for that album." Oh my gosh! Yeah, <laughs> what a gold mine that would be for fans. I, oh, they're the worst at releasing unreleased stuff. Yeah, they're very, very protective, aren't they? Yeah, I managed yeah. To, to get a hold of quite a bit of material through. Um, well, I don't want to name names, but it's some yeah. someone who used to run one of their fan clubs. Okay, and uh, so yeah, it definitely helps to have an in like that. But my God, it just, it's just a trove, a huge. There's so much music that has got that has gone unreleased. That uh, 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 film soundtracks and and you know and and what have you. So you were able to to speak to uh, to both of them. That's really great. Now, yeah. I, I, coming away after having read the the book um, and and Daryl's as well, I learn a lot about the music and I learn a lot about their career. But I still don't really get a sense. About about the guys, like I like you, I walk away. They're still they're still like ciphers to me. I don't really understand them. Did you I, I get to know them as people? I think that's the point. Yeah, I don't think we're meant to understand them. And I'm I can't speak for Daryl, but my feeling is I don't like writing about the person. I like writing about what we see, what we're given. You know, the career. Mm-hmm. The public persona, because the person, I mean, for all we know, you know, they could be a couple of, I don't know, just thinking like the most disgusting sort of person in the world. Right. That could be them in their private life. I right. don't want to know that. Yeah. And why, <laughs> why spoil that? People who make records that, you know, either I love or hate. 
um, you know, who say funny, who say great things. Right. And I think it's, I mean, I read all, you know, like the Albert Goldman books on Elvis and Lennon and you put them down. It's like, well, that was really depressing. Yeah. I can imagine. Yeah, and then well, you, know, you, you pick up, I don't know, you know, just pick up a fun rock book, read it. It's like, it makes you want to play the records. Yeah. True, true, true. So I've never wanted to dig into what somebody's like. I mean, I've met people who I've, you know, who I really admire and they have turned out to be like real pigs of people. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if I ever wrote a book about you, I wouldn't tell people that. <laughs> that's very like generous. The rudest, most unhelpful people I've ever met. Well, then that's that's uh, that's interesting too because you know the 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 reading public they love dirt. I mean, it's just they, and human nature. Do, it would sell. <laughs> dirt is different, though, isn't it? You know, if you've got a story about you know, your favorite singer, three groupies, and a bowl of grapefruit, that's fun, right? But do you want to hear, like, you know, where he goes home and he beats his mother up every day? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I could see how that would be depressing at the very least, and you would yeah, want to I mean, set that I, book down. <laughs> I when I write books, my goal kind of, you know, entertain, inform, blah, blah, blah. But I want you to sit down and play the records. Yeah. I want you to think, oh, my God, I've got to play that. Yeah, yeah. well, it's definitely worked in that re- regard for me. I mean, I... Well, of course, doing this podcast as well, but uh, I've gone and revisited a lot of their music that I yes. had maybe only listened to once or, or twice. And, you know, and I'll, I'll, you know, read something in your book or, or Daryl's that made me think about that song in a new light. I'm like, I, I need to hear that again. Yeah. But, you know, if the book was all about, you know, them going home and beating up their mother with sticks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Would you really want to then go and play Never Turn Me Back on Mother? I would, I, I would say it's unlikely, yeah. That's a that's a very, yeah. very good point. And that's, that's kind of what I bear in mind. I'm not saying they did that, but that's kind of what I bear in mind. For the record, book, we are not saying that Ron and Russell beat, yeah, ever beat their mother with a stick. I'll just get that out there. Uh, so you, you, you broke up there. Oh, sorry. Uh, no, I was just making a joke about uh, Ron and Russell, for the record, are not going home and beating their mother with a stick. For yes. anyone listening out there yeah. who may be thinking otherwise. Uh, <laughs> so, I, and I, forgive me if I in- interrupted you. I don't know if you were in the middle of, ma- of uh, making a point. I can't uh, Okay, well, ne- neither can I. Uh, I'm getting to that age now, too. Um, <laughs> so, I've never been able to remember. Yeah, same. Uh, now, all the books that you've written, what you said, around 200 it might be, right about now. Yeah. Now, when you are writing a book like this, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a rock biography. Do you have, just a peek behind the curtain, do you have kind of a, of a formula that you use in structuring the thing? Um, I don't know. That's a great answer. Yeah. That's just, so it just it just happens. It just happens how it happens. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, I really can't answer that. I mean, I just sort of gather together everything that I, I might have written about them in the past, right? And you know, lump it all in order, and then write through it. Did you? So I guess that's it. I get all the ducks in the row, and then I sort of drive a tank over them. Right. Okay. Yeah. That that makes sense. Uh, <laughs> did never you really, yeah, never actually thought about that question before oh really uh, I do have a formula and it's like it's really sort of cheesy but thankfully I don't know it okay alright well it'll, it will it shall remain a mystery as yes, uh, as as, as all art should be uh, did you uh, how did you keep notes did, did you keep notes working on this or Yes, no. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I kept sort of raw interviews, um, but I do tend to, so once I've got everything down, I'll just write through it, and if something gets deleted, it's deleted. Mm-hmm. So I'm not a great note keeper. <laughs> um, I'm a great make a pile of papers that I'll never look at again and then throw them away. Uh-huh, yeah. And then, and then need them. I'm really good at that. <laughs> well, how many... 
so uh, approximately how how many books a, a year would you say you're you're um, writing? It varies. The the last few years have actually been kind of slow. I just come out of writing um, books with people. Um, Sylvain Sylvain from the New York Dolls, mm-hmm. Walter Lure from the Heartbreakers, and uh, Eddie and Brian Holland. That's Johnny Boston. Thunder's Heartbreakers, correct? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Eddie and Brian Holland, the Motown guys. Yeah, I wrote their book. Mm. And the problem, yeah, I love doing them, but they take an age. Mm. It's like left to my own devices, I could, pr- I'd probably do six to eight books a year. Wow. Um, this so is why you don't leave the house. <laughs> some I put out myself. Okay. So it's yeah. uh, self-publish? Yeah. I mean, writing, was, writing about music was always my hobby when I was young. It's like, it's what I wanted to do. Um, and this was pretty much before it was a real job. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember telling the career officer, you know, it's like, I want to write about music. And he just laughed at me and said, okay, now what do you want to do to earn a living? Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So... Yeah, if I wasn't writing a book for a publisher, I'd probably be, you know, I'd be writing more for fun. And it's so easy to self-publish now. Oh, boy. Yeah, I wake up. Selling it, that's another. I want to write about something really stupid, like the 1972 ISIS avant-garde festival in London, which nobody even remembers. Um, I wrote a book about that. What, I'll have yeah. to look. You said the I, it's called the ISIS Festival? It was um, the uh, International Carnival of Experimental Sound. It was on for a month at uh, this big venue in London. Nobody went. There was, I mean, there was hundreds of artists from all over the world, all experimental, avant-garde people, all went to it. Um, absolutely fascinating story. Um, that sounds fascinating, and I want to find that. There was no audience, and like, everybody forgot about it. I was you know, getting numbers. I was emailing, calling people. I was like, right, write a book about ISIS. And they were like, was I even there? It's like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> <That's great. laughs> it was that great. forgettable. You know, no publisher on earth would touch it, but I got a wonderful review in Wire magazine. Oh, great, great. Yeah. It's only acknowledgement anywhere, but... <laughs> So this when did I you? For fun. Uh, well, that's how you know you're talking to a you know to a, a real career writer. It's like they can't they can't help but write. It's yeah. you know like breathing, eating. Uh, yeah, so, and the so, less commercial it is, the better. Right. Well, no one's going to buy this one. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you? Uh, you said since you were very very young that you that yeah. you you decided you wanted want to be uh, a writer and um, what drove that focus. Towards specifically music or uh, pop music or rock music or journalism. It's just what I like. You know, when you're mm-hmm. 13 or 14, your interests tend to be you know, sports girls' music. Right. Um, I didn't care enough about sports for that. Girls didn't seem a very sort of viable subject to write about at that age. <laughs> <laughs> you might need a little experience so, under your belt. So yeah. It was like, because you know, if you think back, you know, when I was 13, Bowie, T Rex, Slade. I mean, there were so many great bands. God, yeah. Yeah, all the horrors of the 60s were still in living memory. Mm-hmm. You know, some of them were still going. Um, so it's like there was just so much music happening. We had a really vibrant music press in England. Right, yeah, definitely. Much much more so than over here in the States, it yeah. seems. So it's like all that came together, and it's just like that's what I want to do. So my, my project... Uh, school we were encouraged to have a project that we did out of class mine was writing about music which yeah the headmaster decided wasn't a real project sure <laughs> right of course of course yeah but I, yeah i kept I who's kept laughing now and, you know in the end they sort of accepted it <laughs> and when i left school it's like okay that's what i want to do and it took me a few years to get started i think the first artist i ever approached about a book was john otway who I thought was going to be huge, and he wasn't. Yeah, that name doesn't doesn't land with me. <laughs> I, not not connecting. I'll, I'll, yeah, well, what, what was that name again? John Otway, O T W A Y. Otway. Okay. Uh, he's still going today. He's still fun. I mean, some people consider him a novelty act. He builds up the yeah, the the persona of being the world's biggest loser, but he used to write the most amazing songs, put on the most amazing <laughs> shows. 
And yeah, the first book I ever wrote was yeah, where I actually talked to the person was uh, was Otway. Oh wow! And I finally put it out for like its three hundredth anniversary of me writing it. <laughs> I put it. I self published it. Okay, I'll I'll be looking out for that I one was as well. So happy to do that. <laughs> So, I mean, after you had published your, your first book, was it, uh, you know, you were like, well, it's, it's, it's off to the races. This is what I'm going to do, and yeah, I'm able to make I, a living. Because I mean, that's the, the usual, hard part. Yeah. Well, I did the usual. I had a fanzine. I wrote for it. You know, I got to a few magazines, contacted a few publishers, usually with the John's Children book, and they'd say no. Uh-huh. Uh, then one of them said, do you have any other ideas? And I said, uh, simple minds and okay said, okay uh, oh <laughs> cool so yeah my first my first published book was a biography of simple minds no kidding okay and that was i mean that had to have been because you've been writing for so long like 84 and they hadn't been around for more than a handful of years at that at that point right. either have they? i mean they were up to sparkle in the rain i think yeah that sounds right yeah, yeah. um i also did a u2 book around that time and that may actually have been the first one thinking about you too. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, they had no career to speak of. Um, right. I remember at the end of it having to actually rush to get Unforgettable Fire, which had just been released, mm-hmm. into the book. <laughs> oh, so um, so this was 84 very, or so. I would, yeah, so it's yeah. a very thin little thing. Right. But, yeah, and, you know, once it started, I just, okay, you know, now I'm doing it. I just kept going. Oh, that's great. But it's not always easy. <laughs> I'm sure. Publishing can be pretty tricky sometimes. Yeah. yeah, it has its ups and downs. Right, right. Well, and I'm, and you know, and We're I'm sure. In a hell of a down. <laughs> what was that? We're currently in a hell of a down. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I can imagine that. Uh, well, is there anything you're working on right now that you're at liberty um, to divulge? I'm doing the book about. I just finished the the, uh, the I Feel Love book. Um, I wrote a book with. Just finished a book with Bob Gruen, the photographer. Mm-hmm. Um, I sort of worked with him on his memoirs, and next I'm doing a book about Seattle in the '90s. Oh wow! But Perfect. Not necessarily grunge. You're writing a book about Seattle in the '90s, but not necessarily about grunge. That's yeah. Hmm. I mean, because I lived there through the 90s, and, you know, it was a, looking back, it was an amazing city with a lot of really amazing stuff happening. Right. And grunge focused attention on it. Yeah. But did not necessarily speak for the whole city. To avoid grunge with with that topic is, um, that's quite a tease. <laughs> I mean, it's going to get in there. Obviously, it has right. to because it, you know that was what encouraged so many clubs to open. That's why we you know, had such a vibrant scene. But you know, when I got to Seattle, which was ninety, you know, it was bookshops. There was a bookshop like mm-hmm. every other store was a bookshop. Right. Yeah. And it was like, oh my god, you know, this is amazing because you think you know, Seattle is like. Yeah, a little logging town in the northwest. <laughs> right. And it was full of books. Yeah, I noticed that. I, I lived there uh, around 2014, 2015, and uh, I was... still there. Yeah, they're still there. You've got those, and then you've got the drive through coffee shacks. <laughs> I don't know if they had those when <laughs> they, you were there. They but were just forming. They were just were they? coming together. That's something. It's and funny. then you know you slowly notice like the tech companies were all gravitating there as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know the city just changed. I think it reached that point where there was so much money coming in and so many sort of moneyed people coming in. Mm-hmm. The old city was just being crushed. And mm-hmm. I always look back on the WTO protests as when. You know, the past tried to confront the future mm. and lost badly. Yeah, it's a really interesting inflection point. Yeah. Yeah, so that's basically going to be the theme mm. of the book, was just like this wonderful subculture battling against the new the new culture. Wow. Well, I'll, I'll be able- through music and flyers and raves and just youth culture. 
I'll be looking forward to that one for sure. Um, yeah, that's not meant to be working on, but it's like this lockdown. It's like, yeah. I'm, I'm just going to stay in and read and watch telly and you know, tidy the basement. And- I I know. it's 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 been really hard for me to um, fight the inertia of yeah. just sitting and watching Netflix or, or what, what have yeah, you. Even though it's like this is no different for me than at any other time in the last you know, 400 years. Right. I'm do- doing exactly the same thing, getting up at the same time. You know, nothing has changed for me, but mm. there's just this overall nationwide inertia. Oh yeah, that's a good, that's a good word. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm. Um, I've got just a couple of quick questions uh, left, and then I'm, I'm going to let you go. Um, but uh, just because I hadn't thought to ask you before, what did um, what did lead you to Wilmington, Delaware? Um, we were sick of Seattle, and my yeah, my wife was like, you know, "We've got to get out." It was getting so expensive. All of our favorite shops and everything had closed, mm-hmm. and. Her, her father was uh, was living out here, and she came out to visit. And she called me up and said, "What do you think of living in Delaware?" And it's like I've never <laughs> barely heard of it. <laughs> what do you think of like, it? I've never thought because, of it. You know, it's like it's it's really beautiful. It's not expensive. Property prices are good. Uh, you know, there's no sales tax, and it's like okay. <laughs> so right. that was it. We came out here to be with her family. Right. Oh, it's definitely a great place to live if you're wanting to pay as low taxes yeah. as, as you like, for sure. And it reminds it reminds me a lot of England. I mean, it's very green. There's huh. lots of winding country lanes. Well, and and uh, is Delaware part of New England? I can never remember. What no, it's not. No, we're more we're mid Atlantic. Right, right. But yeah, I love it. <laughs> Well, that's great. I, I'll I'll have to visit, you know, once uh, air travel becomes uh, yeah. possible again. It's just so funny whenever I so interview somebody and they're like, "You're in Delaware? Why?" Yeah, that was my first. Yeah, when yeah, well, well, when we were when I was first uh, contacting you via via Facebook, and I expected you to be some, somewhere still in in the UK, and you said Delaware. I just didn't didn't compute. Why? How? How? Why? <laughs> Um, at any rate, well, uh, Dave, I really, really thank you for taking some time out of your day to uh, talk to me no, that's, for that's, the podcast. No problem. If you, have any, if you have any other questions, because I think we did sort of steer off Sparks quite a lot. Yeah. So if you do have anything else Sparksy to ask, just let me know. Most definitely. I definitely will. Yeah. And thanks for that, for that invitation. Um, meanwhile, yeah. and enjoy that uh, fresh uh, country air out uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, uh, podcast, yeah, I would, I would say we, um, maybe two weeks, three weeks. It just depends on fighting that, oh, right. that inertia we, that we were talking about. I, yes. I, I had an interview, uh, less than a week ago with a filmmaker who directed the, uh, the movie about Sparks fandom called, uh, never turn your back oh, on Spark. Right. Yes. Peeny. And, uh, I'll be releasing that one. That one first, and it just so so happened that you know just a few days after that, I'm I'm able to to uh, interview you as well. So these might be standalone episodes, you know, depending on how much of the um of the the uh, the, the, the conversation I I, I want to keep for for either one of them. But I would estimate two, maybe three weeks. And if people bug me, it'll get out sooner than that. <laughs> yeah, I don't envy you uh, editing lists. No. Well, I've got the time. <laughs> I've got the time. And if I think of any more questions, and undoubtedly, undoubtedly I will, I'll, uh, I'll ask you again. Well, well, how about this? Before I, I do let, let you go, was there anything yes. about that book in particular that you can think of that I, that I have not asked you that you think would be interesting to relay? God. Oh, that's a question, isn't it? Um, I don't think so. No, I mean, I think we can, I mean, I do think the story of, you know, how it came to be is probably my sort of, my main thing about it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, you know, the fulfill, basically the fulfillment of an ambition that, you know, I'd had for a quarter of a century. <laughs> right. <Gosh. laughs> Putting it in those terms is quite terrifying. Yeah. But, yeah, I well, mean, that's the main thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, 
gathering the illustrations was fun. Mm, yeah, that's right. That's right. I love, yeah. So, yeah, the, the scrapbook approach. I I always love in books. Yeah, you did. There were a lot of. Uh... There, there, yeah, you had a lot of images in there, a lot of stuff from I, probably their fan club and, and flyers and all kinds of stuff. That, that, was a, yeah. that was a nice treat. And I did, I did like the cutout dolls. Oh, yes, that's right. I didn't say I forgot about that. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. That's great. Now, where did that come from? I think that was the designer's idea. Huh. That's great. That's fantastic. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, I just got an email one day saying we're going to have cut out oh. dolls in it. It's like, ah, oh, that's fantastic. You know what? I I believe that they released a single in the early '80s. I forget what what song it is. Maybe it was "All You Ever Think About Is Sex." But they they did do that for the single cover. They had uh, oh, photos. They? Yep, I'm remembering that now. I'll have to look that up and I'll, and I'll get that over to you. But um, yeah, that's what that was. But anyway, it's a great touch. I, I, I yeah. really enjoyed it. It was great. Um, yeah. As I say, yeah, the scra- I love the scrapbook approach to any books. I did a sort of a, an encyclopedia of glam rock uh, for the same publisher. And we did the same thing. It's just like, just stuff it with images. I'm gonna to have to get onto the to your website now and just and order a, just a, a, a truckload of, of books because I, w- I want to read that one as well without a doubt. Um, what I would recommend um, Amazon's good for a lot of them, but anything I self published, um, buy it from Lulu. Lulu, okay. Yeah, because uh, it'll be a lot cheaper. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, this is good. I'm I'm glad before we go that we're mentioning this because I I I do want to give you a chance to to plug your work and where people can can purchase it. So you're recommending Lulu. Lulu.com. Lulu.com. Um, go there first and see what you can find that you like, and then Amazon. Excellent. Um, but but everything on Lulu is priced, I think, like twenty to forty percent cheaper than Amazon. Ooh. Okay, that's a good sales pitch right there. So, yeah. <laughs> um, I'll I'll leave a uh, I'll leave a link in the description for this episode as well. Uh, well, Dave, right. once again, thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it, and uh, I'll be in touch with you um, real soon. Particularly if I have any questions, Perfect. such as okay. where I might be able to hear that new uh, album. Uh, I'll go. I'll go. I might go play it now just to uh, just to annoy you. Oh God. All right. I do only have it on MP3. Yeah, I will confess. That's quite all right. You know, right. You know the uh, release date has been, it's April for the digital, but I think it's now June for the uh, for, uh, physical. Yeah, I think it's May 15 for the digital, I th- last I checked. Oh, is it now May 15th? Yeah, oh, May 15th, but that's okay. just the digital. But, but you are correct that they did push back the physical release until sometime yeah. in July, I believe. So I'll have but to wait for that. Smart. It's smart, but it's depressing. It is. It's both. <laughs> Absolutely. I know. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much, okay. Dave. Thanks very much. Yeah, my pleasure. And you have uh, a great rest of your day. Yeah. Yeah, it's right. been great. Talk to Thank you later. You. All right. As I slip and slide, banging against the walls, barely qualified, drifting barren holes, bosses off to It's one, it's one for the ages. It's one, it's one, it's one for the ages. As I write my tone every single night, my eyes show the strain of real It's one for the ages It's one, it's one, it's one for the ages It's one
It's one, it's one for the ages. It's one, it's one, it's one for the ages. When the day arrives, they say it's in It's one 